And always professional standards, Sean, when I walk in here from what is a rainy day, sunny countryside where we are. How are you, Sean? Really good. This is David Macmillan's podcast number six. If you don't know who David Macmillan is yet, if you're not up to speed on the channel, David has already done five mammoth podcasts, all of which are in the description box below this video. People come on and tell a story. They've done a crime in a certain country, maybe. They've done some time in a certain country. The reason we're at six podcasts, David was a kingpin doing business from Europe to Colombia with the cartels over to Thailand with the opium. Starts out in Australia. We're talking kingpin hunted across five continents. And I was a slow learner too, so... uh... (laughs) If at first you don't succeed, (laughs) keep blundering along. His story does not fit in a podcast. His story does not fit in a movie. It would have to be a Netflix series, and I'm urging anyone out there that's hooked into Netflix, you must seriously consider this is one of the most mind-blowing stories I've ever heard that would suit multiple Netflix series. You know what, though, Sean Day? Um, For example, Raw Productions, and they make Banged Up Abroad, uh, twice they've been in touch with me. And we've gone through the procedure. They run out the story. But at the final hurdle, it gets dropped. Um, That is because, of course, um, I went straight into the deep end into heroin when I was young, uh, smuggling there. So um, in the end, that's owned by National Geographic, and that's a family channel. They might have pretensions about being, we give you the hard news and all of that, but they're not. If you want the hard stuff, you come here to Sean's channel. <laughs> now, that's where the reality is. So at the end of podcast <clears throat> five, before we pick up, I do remember where we, we were left off, but we also had questions come in. And thank you for everybody out there who has sent questions, who has clicked over to David's channel and subscribed. <clears throat> Again, link in description box. Thank you to everybody who has bought David's books. And David is working on making an audio book. Links to all his books are below this video. Now, the hottest subject on YouTube right now is Epstein. And we had a chat on part five in the days preceding Epstein's death. He hadn't been suicided quite yet. On the way into the studio today, David and I were having a chat. And David mentioned about the multiple ways that people can be suicided in prison. Well, um, people have been imagining... uh, uh, everything, you know, dark spooks walking in at night and uh, tangling him up because it was quite a strong injury, wasn't it? This was Hyoid a, fracture of the... Yes, the yeah. hyoid bone. H-shaped, isn't it? Mm. Well, <clears throat> of course, no doubt that could be done if you uh, were willing to tell a lot of people. But, of course, uh, if you're trying to bring somebody's death, you don't want to. And what has occurred to me, and, and this came to me because I looked at that photograph, the mugshot. Now, uh, Epstein's pictures from his past show a slightly seedy, you know, a guy you wouldn't entirely trust in any way. But nonetheless, he was uh, bright and cheerful. After all, he was a billionaire, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> However, that mugshot really tells the story. If you look at it closely... You can see not just the wear and the lines on his face, but the eyes are dead, really. He was 
he realized he was down and out. The, the cozy deals he could fix up to get out of trouble, they just all evaporated, which all came about, I guess, starting with the Me Too movement and that um, bringing up um, old sexual things and uh, making the most of them you know, with a lot of civil suits. But anyway, <clears throat> the suicide. If I couldn't get to somebody and their death would be not a bad thing. I would wonder whether the Hannibal Lecter technique might work. And that is, for those who ever saw the film, there was somebody in another cell that uh, had offended him in some way. Was it multiple mixes from Jez on Clarice's face? Exactly, yes, yes. She got uh, a bit of a skin treatment there that uh, she wasn't expecting. But um, so uh, Hannibal just spoke to him, and by morning he'd killed himself. Now, you ask, could that be done? Well, by chance, uh, in the school I was at, um, there was a kind of idiotic schoolboy bet, I think it was, that we could talk this uh, absolute loser into uh, killing himself. The idea was that he'd throw himself from the school assembly hall, wrapped in the school flag, and... um, bounce several times off the pavement. So um, I guess we would have stopped before he, he went right over the edge. Uh, we had business cards printed with his name on it and loser as occupation uh, and gave them out. But then uh, I later thought, uh, with the Epstein thing, could circumstances be arranged where um, he would actually take that jump? Now... For those who've just tuned in um, during a a smuggling career that had really probably not more than four or five major arrests, but of course there's a lot of jail time in that. And I did pay attention to the jail suicides because I'd thought of that, uh, well, twice anyway, seriously myself. And how determined those people are uh, and how difficult to pick beforehand. Yet with Epstein... He did seem like everything had burnt uh, around him. There was nowhere to go. Um, he Could you uh, arrange that, though? Well, here's, a, here's another source to back up this idea. <clears throat> Here, of course, the man famous for making people do things they don't know they're going to do is Darren Brown. And you might recall one of his programs where he made somebody rob a security van. And he did that by putting the idea, not just putting the idea in his head, but arranging the sets and the things that the guy was looking at to all coincide. Music played in the background that uh, built up his adrenaline. Uh, Lots of positive signs uh, came about. The movements of people, lots of very subtle things. and, And they extraordinarily work. Um, he does. He, he gets people to um, uh, write down a gift they're going to buy somebody. Uh, he replicated one of the Kennedy brother assassinations, didn't he? And the guy was going to assassinate that famous comedian in this country that's got all those Twitter followers. Then he went off Twitter. What was his name? Stephen Fry. Oh, really? Stephen Fry. Okay. So the guy went to a Stephen Fry concert mm. event and 
they did the signals like I think there was like a word or some kind of music, and there was a girl in the in red in a polka dot dress right. or an umbrella, whatever yeah. it was. And the guy jumped up, but he didn't know he had blanks, and he assassinated Stephen Fry. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So he could have been up on a murder charge, and his defense would have been unique, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, they I won't let Sar- they won't let Saran 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 out because he yeah. has no recollection of doing it. So he can't be he, repentant. He's, he's no remorse. No remorse. Uh. No, that's true. But for um, uh, for the Epstein uh, death, it could if they brought somebody in who was an expert in the field, they could arrange that uh, he would receive letters, the magazines that uh, he'd be reading, uh, gave the hints. Lots of uh, if there is enough background feed to it, it could push him in to do it, and also. They'd need to introduce ways that he could do it. The cell, we've all seen the pictures. It's fairly spartan. There's not much in it. But it was uh, a metal bed, wasn't there? Or bunk bed even, I think it was, though he was by himself. Um, To get into that position, um, once when I was thinking of uh, suicides, um, I thought if you did get your head into that position, you could flip yourself backwards but i'm not very lucky sean i'd end up just you know stephen hawking hello i've got an american voice (laughs) um you know it just wouldn't work for me i don't think one prison guard we interviewed he found a corpse that had been hung in a leaning forward position yeah and the person just leant into it and choked to death and the corpse was still in that position when they found it uh, there was a suicide in the Supermax I was in where the guy had uh, managed to get uh, enough grip with um, a bed sheet uh, on a window frame. and But he nonetheless took the trouble to um, have something around his waist which would secure his feet from getting down. So, I mean, that's determination to do it. We had and- another guy on here who said that people committing suicide just by rolling off the bunk. And then, and then what? And just falling? Well, from three feet or something. Can you guys remember what you said specifically? Well, hmm, there goes the 12-foot rule, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, which is what... Uh, um, who was that famous uh, executioner in the UK? He, he he used to snap the neck every oh, time. Oh, yeah, he was quite efficient. And uh, it, it, I think it is about 12 foot, which is coincidentally what a parachute jump is. Right. Don't get tangled in your shoe. That's for sure. Um, Now, if Epstein had been, um, uh, by covert means, given that information about how to do it, that would have been in mind. Because I found that with um, jail suicides, uh, it's the means, the, the hurdle. If prisons had a little button there that you could press and you no longer have ever have existed well a lot of people would have pressed it um and also for people who've just come in on the show um the reason i'm talking about jail suicides is simply the places i've been in uh supermax in australia um a couple of very awful prisons in thailand and uh, where we'll be going soon into uh, Pakistani jails. 
Just a, just a, a little question about what you said <clears throat> on Epstein first then, because mm. that is a unique perspective from your own experience and knowledge. And I haven't heard anyone discuss that scenario, and it's made something click in my brain then. Yeah. So you're saying Epstein was killed possibly by the Hannibal Lecter technique, which is a transmission of words from one person to the other. That's right. We've got There is certainly, even though I'm not in favor of conspiracy theories, he certainly possessed information which would embarrass a lot of people. So there's motive there. Well, what if those words were, mm. we'll kill your brother, we'll kill your outstanding family members, we'll kill Ghislaine Maxwell, your right-hand woman, unless you take your own I life? I don't think that would necessarily work. People are fundamentally very selfish. And Even when it comes to siblings and family members? Well, as, as, think... Uh, those in your own family for whom you would die willingly. Uh, there may well be. I mean, <laughs> there are in mine. Not that they're so great. I'm just, you know, I don't care much. Um, but um, that, that, that would be an additional um, aspect of it. I think, I think that could be more fuel to the, the fire of building this psychological pressure. Or what if he was just so fearful of the entity that he was exposing, that he knew he just had to do that. The, the word came down from them to do it or else. For example, with Escobar, mm. people knew they couldn't escape his clutches and they knew he was going to capture them. Some of those people got so scared they just killed themselves. That, that's true. And, and famously in The Godfather too, uh, one of the captains um, cuts his wrists in a bath because even though he's under... Uh, secure witness protection by the FBI. Uh, Don Hagen, the lawyer, comes in and says, uh, um, look, uh, we'll give you the option that they gave the uh, high-ranking uh, Roman, ancient Roman elite of killing yourself. So um, that message was quite clear. I think there are circumstances which, uh, yes, family threat, uh, which could have been, but I think what would have finished him off psychologically was this void of shame and emptiness that because he after all was rather addicted to his lifestyle wasn't he um surely like young girls but there was that was just part of his control and overarching wealth kingly you could say now to have all that swept away Let's imagine a king who's lost his kingdom and he has nothing and he has pretty much years in a dungeon and he was not young. Um, let's just say he would have spent, I don't know, eight to ten years in prison. He would have come out an old man, no doubt ruined by all the civil suits with nothing and shabbily walking around the streets, ostracized by the people who would no longer want to know him. Because even after his first case, which was 10 years before this case, and he was convicted of stuff, and everybody knew, a lot of people knew what he'd done. Bill Gates, Prince Andrew, all these famous scientists, MIT, all these people still hanging out with him and taking his money, some of them. Oh, that's true. But the way that case was resolved with the fix... The prostitution charge. Uh, it was... It gave them the confidence. This is a man who can control what happens around him. These, uh, um, it's a 
curious times we live in. These sex cases are, um, you know, twisting into a, a variety of social memes and, and, and swings of the tide. Of course, there's always the mercenary one where people and lawyers encourage litigation and there will be big settlements out, but that's been there forever. But what we have now, uh, I, I've met a lot of uh, people, friends now, girls that are uh, you know, middle-aged women who suddenly started uh, highlighting crises from their their youth, uh, sexual encounters that they now say they never got over. And is this really the case? They seem to deal with it before. But like anybody, you can focus on an event and all of your uh, troubles come to that. Um, we always look for a cause, don't we? And, um, and I, I suppose in, and that's why somebody is rich and famous who dies by an accident, there has to be something to it. Um, those kind of people don't die by accident. There's always a hand. But I think in this case, um, with Epstein, the hand was a subtle one. And it, I would imagine, uh, with the right, uh, almost trivial things, down to images, sounds, uh, uh, indirect messages, he would have felt that, and I can speak from my own experience, that utter emptiness where you don't want to see tomorrow. Um, the uh, absolute pointlessness of, of going on and and a kind of a, a fear of that emptiness that pushes you over, which happened to me in Thailand um, when I was there. Um, and I saw the old man who threw himself under a um, sand truck and, and his head popped open. That wasn't, you know, and I congratulated him at the time. Do you want that story? I think that's in um, podcast two or three, part two or three with David. Link below the, the video. Yeah. So no, uh, just to finish off with uh, Epstein, I don't think there'd be any way of proving this because these, these, there, there will never be a, um, a smoking gun found on this one. Um, people will have their theories, but the ones I've heard of are all kind of archaic 60s conspiracy ideas uh, where um, black hats have snuck in and done something. The, the the world doesn't take that. Look, we get controlled enough by our phones, by Google, by uh, Facebook. They make our hands move and do things. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like to say, I do have, uh, we're trying to get all different angles on not just the Epstein case, but child sex trafficking and elite pedophile rings. So I have got two more ex-police lined up to interview on that subject. One's going to be about grooming gangs, and the other one is going to be about how police cover up these elite paedophile investigations. But what we've not had, and what I would love to have on the podcast, is to get a victim of child sex trafficking or a victim of an elite paedophile ring to come on, if that person is brave enough, to give give their side of the story and give us uh, you know, a, 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 the victim's perspective so we can we can understand you know, the tragedy... Um, and, and, the, and the bravery of the person speaking out behind it as well. So, going. I did, uh, by the way, I, 
that reminded me um, there were, on sex cases. There was a quite, well, it was a young man, a rapist, serial rapist that I spoke to. And, uh, you know, people are always saying, oh, well, they live under a shadow, those people. But I'm curious uh, <laughs> about people, and I really wanted to know why it was uh, that he was doing what he was doing. And uh, he had some ridiculous defense or other. Uh, but after encouraging him to open up, he did tell me that he actually uh, quite calmly uh, was turned on by the fear in the girls and that he targeted particular kinds. And um, oddly enough, uh, ever since he described that kind to me, I, I, when, when I pass a, a woman in the street that looks a little bit like the um, uh, generally taller, uh, wears pale clothes, lacy things, um, looks somewhat confused and a little bit fearful, this caught the eye of this young guy. And he, um, there was no real passion. He was methodical and cold about how he arranged things uh, so that he could um, generate that fear in them. Uh, and he, <laughs> in his own sick little way, he said, uh, no, Dave, uh, I'll have to stop this now. Um, they're on to me. You know. That's all. It wasn't, um, I've done anything wrong. It was a bit like, no, I'll have to give up stamp collecting because, uh, well, everything's just like printed from the post office. Now. It was kind of dismissive. Uh, and yet um, he was, it, it's often very hard to get that out of those sort of people. Well, I've watched Louis Thoreau. I think he interviewed pedophiles in Florida or somewhere like that. Did any of them ever open up? And there was there was like some supermax kind of prison. They had him in as well. I think he did some there. Um, yeah, I think there was like a guy running a home for paedophiles who couldn't find anywhere to live, basically because they. Oh, yeah. So they, he was like helping them, like kind of like get 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 home and get back into society. But then I think Louis, if it was the right one, if it was Louis the host, they found out that the guy running the home had a history as well of, of this. Mm. And yeah, they were they were opening up a bit. Um, the one where they were in the prison, these were like the ones that just they didn't believe they could ever be reformed. And they were talking yeah. about like chemically castrating them and all this kind mm. of stuff. So I've been asked, it's come in over the years, a few people have said, would you have... Uh, pedophile on the podcast and I've always said no but if Louis Thoreau has done it and everyone loves Louis Thoreau um, my, my, my dilemma is somebody who uh, is willing to actually be uh, a little honest then... my dilemma is I'd want to kill the person yes but there's so many to kill and we have such little time <laughs> where do you start but if the person was sat right there yeah I know I know I mean, would that, they get that, out of the studio alive that's the question uh, um, Kitty fiddlers that were in Thailand that uh, I came across. You know, I thought, well, this would be really easy to arrange, you know, some accident. <laughs> uh, it, people were very accident prone in there. There's an epidemic uh, of them out there, isn't there? Uh, in Thailand. Oh, yes. That's yeah. uh, it's that in the Philippines. That's a stronghold for them. Uh, Gary was, Glitter. 
<laughs> yes. I was reminded in the supermax, we were sitting around in one of those concrete and glass day rooms staring at a television, six of us. And there was various kind of nutcases there. And I forget the guy's name. He was from the former Yugoslavia. We ended up watching a bit of some Saturday evening kiddie talent show. And um, there were kids in there ranging from, I don't know what, five to 16 or something like that. And uh, one of the guys said of the 16-year-old, oh, yeah, she'll grow up all right, that one. <laughs> it translated as she's perfectly fine as she is. Um, and this old guy said, uh, uh, yeah, I'd fuck all of them. <laughs> now, uh, he, um, I saw then that you know, there's a whole world of bestiality that is just waiting for the opportunity. Oh, incidentally, that guy had walked into his bank manager's office and said he wanted a loan to uh, go to Rome. Oh, yes, that's nice, said the manager. Um, and what holiday is it? No, I'm going to see the Pope. Really? That can't be easy. No, but when I see him, I kill him. So the loan application had several stumbling blocks. Um over which uh, the applicant uh, really didn't help himself by stabbing the manager, and that's how he came to be in the supermax. But nonetheless, you had you had something that uh, was coming to mind somewhere. Well, yeah, else. I mean, people have asked, would I interview a paedophile? Louis Thoreau's interviewed paedophiles. I have found it fascinating, but I suppose it's like to describe the acts. You get that visceral reaction where you just want to strangle them, I imagine. If Wild Man was in here, the person would definitely get killed. So something I'm gonna I'm gonna actually put this out as a separate clip on YouTube mm. to hear what the YouTube subscribers want because everything that's happened on this channel has been thanks to you subscribers sending in your thoughts and questions and comments. If you absolutely do not want me to interview a paedophile, I will not do it. If you think that that should be done from a, a criminological perspective, then I'll consider it. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll I'll start to consider it because there's a lot of. Um, possible blowback that could come from that and james if you want to timestamp where we are on this because I'll, I'll take all this out as one big clip as well um 26 minutes, 26 minutes in okay great before we go over back over to your story david mm. so i was i had my breakfast and then i'm reading unforgiven destiny yes and i've gone way past where we were at now in part five in part five we finished you had your passport with the passport photo and they had scotched taped your photo, the exact same photo from the passport. Eight by 10 color glossy. Do you want to give a summary of where, of where you are? Well, just to, in 60 seconds, uh, set the mood, uh, young David's not young smuggler anymore. He's done over a decade in Australian prison got out, been followed by a bunch of police, fled to Thailand thinking, I'll pick up some money and uh, go to Europe. Three days later in Thailand, I get arrested because of DA connections uh, that were entangled with one of the Golden Triangle's biggies. <clears throat> I faced death row in Thailand, but two weeks before the sentence is given, I escape. 
I end up in Pakistan and Baluchistan, where I have an old friend there, uh, Lord Nurjan Magsi of uh, the Magsi clan. And he shelters me there for a while. I return to Europe. I restore my fortunes by lots of mischief in Scandinavia and Colombia. And um, was I bored? I don't know. Um, but I'd uh, cultivated a, a very hard-to-catch girl who knew nothing of my past, Eloise. And um, she was so timid, you know, charming, of course, but she could know nothing of my past. Yet I was called back to um, Pakistan by his lordship, who was in jail over another massacre or so. Uh, he had political connections. And his cousin had been kidnapped and ended up over the border in Afghanistan. Well, uh, it's a long story, but you can watch the earlier episode on that one. But by posing as a, a dealer in stolen antiquities, the uh, Taliban were just coming back in the world, but it was between about five sets of government there. If the, car, the cousin was given back, and that was it. I was returning to the UK, to my little muse house down in Chelsea. Uh, I fondly look at it now. And wonder if the residents of it ever found that two thousand pounds stuck behind the, uh, <laughs> behind one of those things, you know, the little stash things mm. you get. When all is well, but I'm nervous. I've got a perfectly good passport, but um, I even get my local friends to escort me to the airport. And when I'm there, the whole airport's got a peculiar or had a peculiar mix of international domestic uh, passengers going together. But I'm international, and there's one person who's got an interest in me. Uh, and I know it's there, and I find myself talking to two um, immigration and customs guys who then produce this picture to which you referred, and it's me. Now, there's one thing you don't want in this world, is to find yourself in a fairly ruthless country, in an airport where people get taken away, never to be seen again, and having some official wave around a fifth-generation photocopy of your passport photo. I was a bit speechless. I'm not normally so. It was so undeniably uh, me. Uh, I think one of them was a little, one of the officers was um, warming up to some bribery there because he was saying, well, it's a similarity. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah you, you're my guy. You know, they, they stand forward, these people. You know, somebody wants to be bought off. You know, <laughs> he, he, that's his greeting card. He, <laughs> he, he sprinkles a seed of doubt over the most plain allegation that there might be. Um, and... Uh, it was a kind of odd passport because it just had the one entry stamp into it. A British passport it was, and genuine at that. So this bears investigation. I've got my friends outside. One of them even works for the immigration department. 
Surely they'll be there. They were going to wait for me, Sean. They promised. Yes, they dropped me off at the airport and said, don't worry, David, we'll <laughs> stay here till your flight takes off. Any trouble? I said, well, that, that's what I arranged. You said you'd bring somebody out here. Yeah, here's our man. I get taken out in the front. What is it? It's a ghost town. <laughs> On instinct, there's nobody in the most crowded place. They've just... They, I, I bet you they even saw me in the company of uh, policemen and thought, uh, yeah, well, uh, well, let him sort that one out. So um, then I get um, led away. Now, why is this so extraordinary? It's because, as one of the officers said, we just never happens. Even fleeing dictators don't have their picture stuck up there. Somebody's gone to a lot of trouble uh, to know that you're here uh, and to, to because it, it wasn't even an inquiry from there it was from Karachi not Lahore huh. um, is there any way around it this is not a place where you ask what the charges are and, and then um, ask for a lawyer it, it doesn't go any way that way if you start asking for a lawyer all you're doing is inviting somebody in to feed <laughs> feed at the well, you know, to, to take some more money off you and, and throw you back into the pit. So I was flown to Karachi, and even that's unusual. Somebody was bankrolling this little mission. I don't know what it is that's at issue, but one of the guys said, well, it's something to do with the National Narcotics Police. Mm. Okay, that, you know what, I'm thinking Thailand. Okay, this is come back to bite me on the bum again. I'll deal with that. <clears throat> I get there into Karachi. I'm left in a room for a little bit in the narcotics office. And then I'm already working on the plan. This shouldn't be too difficult, jurisdiction, all of that. But two Gora come in. Gora's uh, sort of slang Urdu for a white man. Uh, and one of them was a familiar face, a little older than when I'd seen him last, but it was my old chum, Bill Shankman. Now he, viewers, um, was a young DEA agent who was in on the Bureau when it first started. He was in uh, ex-Vietnam, low-ranking soldier, went over to that, and had some uh, disasters uh, and wasn't welcome everywhere. And he, for some reason, became, well, I wouldn't say obsessed, maybe, but it was a hobby. Destroy Macmillan, as you can, and when the opportunity comes up, because he was there for the Thailand arrest, which was in very unusual circumstances, too. So uh, he walked in. and uh, Now, you could expect the villain, I'll make him the villain of the piece, to have some good lines. But they don't. I mean, what does that policeman who's been chasing you all these years, what does he say? Uh, well, he said, you're in trouble now, Macmillan. You won't find this country so easy to get out of. Hmm. Okay. And that was about it. He was with the young guy and just, I suppose, what, breeding the next generation of pests to, uh, <laughs> I, know, I, I, I did say to the, um, the Pakistani narcotics guy, I, but 
you know, you work for the Americans? Is it good? Yeah. Are they your friends? No, I'm proud to be. Now, what am I? Narcotics officer. <laughs> <laughs> All of these people were not really going to be helpful. Bill had come in, he'd done whatever he'd done, and uh, then I was thrown in another uh, pit. And eventually uh, I was taken to a room and asked, what do you know about uh, your last operation went bad? Uh, we got one of your, uh, your men, one of your couriers. I'm thinking, well, how far back does this go? You know, uh, somebody confessed to something from years before? I can't think so. Because I'd more or less retired yet again. And uh, I couldn't think of anybody I knew around the place who, who was working. Um, so I thought, well, I'll take the traditional stand and said, uh, look, really, uh, I'd like to help you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Ah, he said, well, we've had people like you in before. You're going to have to see the doctor now. Now, there's a sick kind of thing in the world of police brutality where uh, they like to use medical terms as though there's some kind of justification for what they do, or there's a system, or there's some professionalism. I don't know what the hell. I suppose they want to scrape themselves off the floor of being the slime they are. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the only reason this uh, well, frequent and usually empty threat meant anything was there was a, a, a tea caddy, a kind of old-fashioned tray in this rather jumbled office. And on it, instead of a teapot, was a 24-volt truck battery with some alligator clips. And uh, was that for show? Um, I'm reminded of that scene in Silence of the Lambs where the girl's down in the pit and she looks up and she sees fingernails stuck out there. I'm sure on those alligator clips I saw a bit of flesh hanging off one of them. But put that out of your mind, David. I said to myself, uh, uh, some money's got to talk here. But as you know from my earlier adventures, you have to have the person there at the right time and all of that. The next guy to walk in, he sat down, big, kind of chunky, good-looking. You know, he could have been in a, um, an Indian uh, adventure film or something like that. Uh, Ahmed Bush was his name, or Babush, really. Um, he sat down, leaned back, uh, started chewing on some pan, which is a, a little bag of crystals of uh, aromatic spices uh, and betel nut. You can tell it's popular because <clears throat> uh, all around Karachi and the big cities, everything under about spitting range is covered in this sort of brown expectorant <laughs> as it spat out all <laughs> over the place. Anyway, he had a munch on that, and he started playing with his cigarette lighter, a Zippo, which had imprinted on it the DEA logo. <clears throat> Things are not going good here. I... Uh, he, I looked at him, and I could tell from his manner that he was from um, what would be an upper-class uh, Karachiite family. 
Now, that doesn't mean he, he can't be bought. But when you're wealthy, you get to choose whose money you take. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I later on found out that he took all the hashish smugglers' money, but he drew the line and did nothing to do with uh, opium or heroin or anything like that. Um, well, that make him an honest man? No. But it seems he'd been seconded to, or not seconded, but he'd undergone some training with the DEA in Washington, and that's where he met Uncle Bill. Shankman down there. <clears throat> so, but I thought, you know, the, the, surely there's got to be some, some, some substance to that. But I, I, I kept up my denials, which the thing is, if you get arrested in some place that you don't know the rules, watch a few of these things because it'll help, honestly. Firstly, and I didn't know this, you can say what you like in a, a Pakistani police station. You can sign anything they give you to sign. It doesn't make any difference. None of it is admissible in court. Such is their record for uh, torture and duress that um, no judge there will even entertain it in the courtroom. Now, of course, yeah, you don't confess to anything which will get anybody in any trouble, but nonetheless, you have to be fearful of that. Um, but I'm holding out. Now, little do I know that old uh, Ahmed there has been told, uh, and he, he's reading of it, connections with the Russian mafia, uh, one of the families in New York City. Uh, the, yes, sort of, but not in any. Um, <clears throat> all this is getting his back up. Uh, and he said, this means nothing to us here. They have to clean this wall every day. He meant the blood that's all over it. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> you know, uh, oh, just to fill in a blank here, somebody had been arrested at an airport with a couple of kilos of heroin some weeks before, um, but that's about as much as I knew on that score. <clears throat> Now, <laughs> oh, in addition to the uh, truck battery, there are a range of interesting sticks along on, on the wall. And I'd heard stories, none of them pleasant. Um, have you ever found, Sean, that during the course of your life, you've asked yourself questions about something dire and dark and said, I wonder how I could deal with that, or I wonder what... That's really like. Uh, have you? In Sheriff Jawapaya's jail second year, when they told me I was facing a maximum 200-year sentence, that was probably the most I was pushed to kind of a suicidal insanity questioning frame of mind. But I was thinking of those things where you ask yourself, uh, you, you're curious about something, and then dismiss it by saying, well... Of course, I'd never be in that situation. You know, there's people watching this who say, "Well, this is fine. I can click off." Uh, like, could I take a crucifixion? Things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't no, think I could. <laughs> you're not allowed to drink while you're up there. They, they put a vinegar on a sponge, and you're, you're well wishes. There was there was an author out of Soho that went over and got crucified in South America or Central America, oh. and there was a storm and lightning struck, and the cross fell. <laughs> Sebastian. 
Fox, I think he's Nick Sebastian. Right. A dandy in the underworld is his book. It's absolutely brilliant. He's dead now. I think he owed it. It's a good title. Right? It sounds yeah. worth reading. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I, I had asked myself, um, what is this about torture? Is it? Is it? I know there's something bad about it, and there must be something more about it than just extreme pain and and being tormented. After all, you hear those stories out of South America where. Uh, uh, people you know, turn on their own children. They've been. You know, how, how does it work that uh, your mind gets warped? And what is its essential evil? Good questions, perhaps. Not ones I wanted answered in the, in what followed. So um, a, a cretinous guard came in, chained me up uh, by the hand, <clears throat> and some heavy chains, and then. Um, Oh, Babush kind of matter-of-factly, like arranging his desk, pointed to the table. Oh, and this guard had a gun. He said, don't try anything with this guard. He's an ignorant village guy. He'll just shoot you. He does it all the time. I tell him off, but he doesn't listen. Um, so uh, shoes come off. Uh, they start with the canes. Now, the, the reason of the, the beating of the feet is because it doesn't show. Um, the foot doesn't show and it's bruising. So when you, and that, the way it works is, I found out, um, because it's like a jolt of lightning when it hits you. Um, when that stick lands on your tendon, it tugs at all the nerves that get sent straight up the leg uh, and into the, Oh, into your middle. Um, and that hurt, but it was kind of like surprise, really. Um, so I started to say something to him, and the village idiot started slapping me around the head. Not too hard, but just to make the point, no, you're getting beaten now. That's what happens now. You don't say anything at the moment. Um so, and he was, he must have been a cricketer, old uh, Ahmed, because his aim for the most part during about 20 blows was pretty much in the right spot, apart from a couple of toes that he got by accident. Um, yeah, I'm thinking, uh, and you, oh, you start to scream a bit, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm thinking, okay, don't break anything because it'll take a lot of healing here. But this is a rational thought. Things start to go when it doesn't. I asked him what he wanted, got a couple of slaps, and he, he yelled out the truth. Well, that's a broad statement, isn't it? <laughs> that doesn't get us anywhere. Whack, 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 whack. So when that, uh, he, he, he paused for a bit and, and then kind of politely said, do you, do you want a cup of tea or something? I'm thinking, all right, I'll try this. Uh, Look, my family has a lot of money, and you, whack, he had a hand like a side of beef, and I'm not big. Um, so when he knocked me, I literally flew off the chair and ended up on the floor. I thought, maybe I came in too quick with the bribery or something like that. <laughs> I warmed up to it a bit, but he, he'd kind of got his own clipboard, Sean, with a, I'm, I'm going to this sort of point. And now I'm starting to remember 
the spycraft rules of um, uh, confessions uh, under torture. You, you put up with as much as you can, then you appear to break down. Um, oh, you give one story that's not to be believed, then you break down and, and give, you know, what supposedly the spycraft you know, rules of torture. Did you say yes? Yes. Um, and where did you pick those up from? Um, well. Le Carre, who knows what he's talking about uh, to some extent, that's the uh, spy thriller writer, um, but also to a couple of uh, scallywags I met who ended up in, in bad places. So you had pre-programmed yourself if you've ever got into this situation? Yes. Um, I thought what you, there's no avoiding because they like to do what they do. There's no avoiding a certain amount of damage, but you um, you don't want to lose any vital organs. So you put up with as much as you can um, until you think something's going to be irretrievably damaged. When you say you put up with as much as you can, how do you oh, mentally focus? Your, 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 your body that? tells you when um, you you've got to get out of this. It, it's it's. Um, also, there's a very different thing here, which I'll get to in a minute. When somebody else is inflicting it upon you, it we could probably, under some circumstances, sit here with a pair of pliers and pull one of our own teeth out because there's no anxiety. You can stop, even though it'd be you know, hugely painful. Um, you know, and you hear of those things where. People have been trapped somewhere and have to chew through an arm or something to get free. You think, well, how, how could they do that? Uh, you're in control. The, there is no customary anxiety level. But torture is a different thing, and it's to do with timing as well, uh, which I'll come to. Did you have a technique when this guy was hitting you? Like, did you go mentally somewhere else? You can't. You can't. Um, you're just there. there you're... You learn that the part of your brain that does the talking is an independent office. It um, will um, carry out your wishes to some extent, but uh, at an animal level, all, all the true thinking is going on somewhere else. So your um, whatever is essential that you remember, that is in place. Um, but I'd spoken to a couple of people who'd been in Iran and uh, been tortured there. And, you know, the funny thing was they were never quite right after that. Uh, never quite right. But this this was just a warm-up. Um, <clears throat> then when he wasn't getting anywhere um, and I was kind of developing during the break, <laughs> during the intermission... Uh, would you like some pound? He said, It's quite nice, even my wife likes it. Uh, yeah, and this is the same guy that was doing this a few seconds ago. Um, and you know, I'd been told it was lucky he was a professional at what he did. Um, getting nowhere there, then the truck battery comes into play. Now, the thing about uh, pain is that there nothing beats electricity. Ask your pro-torture, he'll tell you, 
Sean, now you can pull all the fingernails out you like. Uh, when you get that juice flowing, nothing beats that. Okay. Now, I I had by then what I considered to be at the highest level of pain I could imagine of a blocked kidney stone. It, that sounds little, but it is extraordinarily painful. You're screaming and all of that. Uh, crawling around the floor, uh, wanting to die. Uh, except, strangely enough, it's your own body doing it to you. So there, there isn't this the, the key timing thing that comes up. Um, okay, uh, there was a little bit of banter between uh, the two of them about where to put the clips. So they started off on uh, toe on one foot, toe on another. And uh, then with the other lead, just a little intro. And that that jolt is very strong. It's got tendrils. It's got fibrous roots, that pain. It, it searches out all, all the places where your stomach and groin, a groin and uh, even your elbows for some reason, and up the back of your spine to your skull. And that was just the, the touch of it. And... Um, uh, then um, he he moved. I mean, you're paying attention at this point. He, he moved the the heavy clip around and, and it kind of caught the end of it on the on the the tip, uh, the nipple of his machine there, um, and it didn't actually send any electricity through. But I I, I jolted anyway, and uh, oh, that got a big laugh. Oh yes, in in, in torturous mishaps, you know, with uh, the customer. Uh, yeah, look at him. Yeah, we didn't yeah, do it again. Say, no, he's not. I'll do it real now. Uh, and then um, I don't know uh, how in, in films they show um, more than a few seconds uh, of that. You sometimes see it. I don't know. I, I can't watch those things anymore. Um, you know, some part of my brain's counting seconds. Uh, no, anyway, I, I won't watch them. Um, and you, you can't breathe, of course. Um, this it, it, it's like, uh, like some kind of a thousand fish hooks on fire, uh, uh, drawing at your very insides. Uh, and then uh, uh, what do you want? I'm saying I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, something or other, just making conversation so I'll get a bit of a break here. Uh, and so, well, you're going to tell me all of the truth. And I'm realizing he doesn't want to have a, a, a Q&A just at this point. He, he's got a bit more to do. Um, so then um, there's a bit of uh, experimentation where to put the clips. Uh I wouldn't recommend the, the nipples. I mean, I've seen these kinky films like that. Some himself guy's got a nipple clamp on. What the hell is he thinking? I mean, just with a clamp alone. You certainly don't want to send, like, you know, what is it, 45 amps on a truck battery or more. It's the amperage that counts. It's not the voltage, guys. <laughs> I must confess, there was a time in my life when I did own a vibrating nipple clamps. <laughs> What made me not surprised? <laughs> yes. Well, whatever works. 
It's funny how we go through in phases <laughs> in our life of these things, you know. What you might have done 20 years ago, you probably... I'm normal now. <laughs> That's normal. Not on planet Earth, but that is on Venusia Plus. That mm. So here's where I learned uh, a bit more about all of that. Uh, okay, I've got... Um, when, when he stops to take a couple of phone calls or something, um, he barely listens because they don't really want to know anything terribly much. They're not interested. Um, uh, he says, that's not the truth, and uh, and you know it. Well, I know he's not going to believe that one. So I get um, taken back to the cell, and I start to notice even things like a big hanging bar in the, in the middle uh, of the corridor there that's for stringing people up in um, this is a Spanish word for hanging somebody in a, with their arms backwards isn't it I forget what it is uh, trapezo or something anyway uh, this is this is what gets you it's the waiting for the next session I was in that cell and it's a, a suicide proof cell and it's Nothing in it. Um, you, it's a myth. You can swallow your tongue. It's a. Uh, you, you need you need some device. You need something. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Swallow your clothes. I don't, don't know. Didn't have my boots anyway. Um, now, as you can imagine, my ear is stuck to the crack in that cell door. And every footfall, every scrape, every person, I'm judging it. Are they slowing down? Are they coming to my door? I hear keys jangling. Is it my door that's going to be opened? Um, because uh, he took me back, uh, had a little bit more, mostly just slapped me around. Um, but... He was tied up with something else, but I, I knew he you know, was saying all those things. They say, we'll really get started when you get back again. Um, it, I came to have really most of my questions about what torture is and, and what's going on and why it's bad. What is happening is as we, we become who we are, by our brain responding to uh, the DNA, of course, but also our life's experiences, and it wires itself a particular way. This repeated torture sessions utterly rewire that brain. I would imagine fate intervened and things weren't so bad. I had a bit of luck. But I know that um, somebody who you can imagine the poor bastards that are, go through uh, daily torture uh, think of Pol Pot's regime in Cambodia they had a, a, a mattress uh, it wasn't a mattress it was a bed frame and that the whole thing was wired up and they used to throw water over people and, and charge them that, they, it, it's worse than killing somebody a, a torturer is worse than a murderer because what 
he's doing is rewiring that person's brain, creating some hideous deformed creature from within that will never be able to experience or, or see the world in any way again without that distortion of fear. Uh, and it's the timing that particularly does that. Every so, event is loaded. So does describing this then take you to that place? I've had some kind of distance from it, but I know that it's still there. If I hadn't have been saved by uh, a chance uh, intervention, then um, uh, I could have ended up rewired to, uh, I don't know what I've been, it would have been a shuffling wreck, uh, fearful of something, phobic about something. Um, but I know when I sleep, uh, the, the dreams that I have uh, always some kind of a prison. And with extraordinary set decoration, I might add. You know. uh, very novel. Um, no, what happened was um, uh, a Manchester um, policeman with the embassy was down there on other business. And somebody had tipped him off that there was an Englishman being mistreated down in the bowels of the place. And um, he, well, I'll, I'll give them that. I mean, I've never been exactly, I've been on the opposite side to police, but I'm not an enemy of people. I don't regard all policemen as, as my uh, natural enemies. Uh, life's not like a simple black and white thing. Everybody plays the, the, the games with their own set of rules. And one of the rules for this guy was that uh, Johnny Foreigner does not mess with the Englishman. So uh, even if anybody's going to do it, we'll do it. But uh, he came down, and old Babush was furious. He was outraged that um, you know he wasn't able to see through this thing, and he he'd agreed. Uh, the policeman came in to see me, and you know, I was a bit pale, as you can imagine, and a bit shaky. Uh, and he said, well, I heard they were giving you a hard time, but uh, it's just like when you get taken down the back of the police station and punished out. I said, no, 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 no. This is a different game entirely. This is uh, absolutely twisting somebody around. So he said, oh, uh, look, is it, he came back. Is there anything you want to tell him? Oh, I'll tell him something. Will any of it be true? I said, I very much doubt it. <laughs> Only by coincidence. Anyway, he knew it would be a lot of crap. But uh, he went back and, and said to him, oh, he'll, he'll tell you the truth now. And he didn't even care. I told him a taxi driver and something or other. I didn't even know who this guy was that was uh, uh, had been arrested. And I still never, at that point, found out who he was. Um only that it was at Lahore Airport and we're here in Karachi. Oh, no, it was Karachi Airport, that's right. It's interesting that a DEA agent, a US cop, dropped you in it and then a UK cop got you out. I've always got along quite well with UK officials, um, embassy staff and um, and um, policemen in, in, you know, when British travel around the world, it doesn't matter what you do. 
you're pretty much still an Englishman abroad. You can imagine even people who are great Republicans could sit in a bar in Hong Kong and if uh, locals uh, started insulting the Queen, they'd get upset. That's our Queen to insult. We do the ridiculing of Her Majesty, <laughs> not Prince you, Andrew. you bastard. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, he gets himself in enough trouble. Yeah, lucky guy, isn't he? Whoa, close to it. That's, that ship scraped at the very edge of the dock, didn't it, that one? Anyway, um, so um, apart from a lot of uh, anguish there, I was handed over to some low-level and very terrified um, investigator. And uh, I just said, look, right, what do you want? I couldn't care less. Um, <clears throat> a thieving lawyer was brought in who instantaneously relieved me of 5,000 uh, pounds. People later told me, oh, him, yes. Well, he's wearing a new suit, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, he's been dancing around the courts, you know, looking like you've made his whole family there. <laughs> I thought to myself, well, I knew it, but. You know, I wasn't in my right senses <laughs> then. Um, I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn about the country. Um, okay, I'd, I'd traveled it. I'd been up north. I'd uh, been through the Khyber Pass. I'd been to uh, Faisalabad, Multan, uh, Sialkot, all, all around. And, and I thought I knew something. But if you really want, you can no doubt testify to this, Sean. If you want to get to the heart of a country and you haven't got much time, throw yourself in one of their prisons. You'll learn an awful lot about how the heartland ticks. And I'm sure you did that when you were in Arizona, didn't you? It's a microcosm and also it's like the underbelly. So from the underbelly you can understand a larger picture. Yes. Well, um, I uh, I didn't know much about uh, where the prisons worked. I had noticed from the uh, the, the papers um, that something <laughs> meant it was a world of its own. But I, I'd been in Thailand. I knew that um, prisons in poor countries have their own kind of economics and system. But <clears throat> I was not quite prepared for Karachi Central Jail, and. Uh, I did find uh, one thing uh, to my dismay. Um, when I got in there, they'd somehow the story about Thailand had started floating about, uh, escaped from there. So, But then their more interest was that they thought I had money. Um, so I was put, I didn't know it, or it was an unseen hand, helping hand here. Uh, I was put in the care of one of the... The whole jail is divided into sections, three classes. Um, C class, just regular poor people, sleeping on the floor in overcrowded dormitories with a hole in the floor to take a crap in, eating uh, a few beans off an old newspaper. Um, B class, uh, people... <clears throat> As the law says, an English law, I should add, uh, that if you've got an education, a taxpayer, uh, various other things, uh, you're entitled to a better standard of accommodation. And A-class, which is political prisoners. So I ended up in one of the A-class sections. Not that it was particularly much better, one of the political factions. 
So after that exhausting time with the interrogation police, uh, I found at least I was, these guys were nice to me and they gave me a, a little room which was covered all around with um, uh, some blankets. I thought, well, my life's a ruin again. Um, I'd been rich when I was in Australia. I'd had my own caravansary crossing the world on the old Silk Road and lost all of that, got out of Thailand, built it all up again. I've got a girl in London who knows nothing of what goes on. Uh, no doubt this will destroy me in various ways, uh, but really at least I'll get a peaceful night's sleep here. No. Door opens. They leave the doors open in these sub-compounds. Ah, Mr. David. Ah. Oh, we've got a friend for you. What? Another Englishman. What do you mean? Your case. He's the man. And you know who lumbered through? The cretinous, broken-down, liver-puddling, flat-faced, cauliflower-eared ex-boxer Billy Green. Last seen at a cafe somewhere in uh, South Kensington where I handed him over to some um, Danish guys and he was going to organize couriers. Did he organize? Yeah, he organized himself so he could scoop up the money. Did it work? No. Paralyzed with fear, apparently he melted in front of the, just the standard check-in desk. Such a quivering lump of jelly attracted the attention of passers-by, including officials. And when they pointed to his bag, so did he. Which kind of tells a story to your average customs guy. Anyway. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, what did he do when faced with... He didn't get uh, any of the bad interrogation. He wasn't listed as being down as some hard nut that uh, nobody... Nothing had been done to him. Didn't have to. They had to hit him to shut him up. <laughs> Macmillan, you want? That's MC, not MAC. A lot of people get that confused. <laughs> he spilled his guts and added to it. He thought his best defense out of his troubles was to say that I'd uh, uh, threatened him. He owed gambling debts from uh, Manila casinos. I'd forced him into doing drug runs. It goes on and on. Oh, and just to get old Mr. Babush, ex, uh, you know, uh, primed DA headquarters in Washington, my interrogator, just to get him in the mood, old Billy Green said to him, oh, if you ever get him, he'll have you killed. Uh, this guy uh, uh, in his country, will have you shot like that. People disappear all the time. And yeah, painted a nice picture. Is that why he said as he put on the juice, well, you're in my country now. So when Billy Green walked through that door that night, I wasn't getting that peaceful night's sleep after my exertions. Far from it. What did he say? Oh, Jay, that wasn't in the script. None of this. <laughs> you happy your friend's here? <laughs> <laughs> Curtain on Act One. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this isn't going to be so straightforward. 
<laughs> I've got my own problems. Uh, I'm in a, a prison which, just to give you the briefest outline of it, there were people in there for years. If you wanted to go to court, you had to bribe the munchie. He's the guy that writes down there the list for people. You had to bribe the guard that makes up the is in charge of the list. To get a court appearance. To, to, to go on your appointed date. You have to bribe the guards who drive the damn thing. Once you get to the courtroom, you're milling around like idiots all chained up. If you want to go before the judge, you've got to send somebody in to see the clerk of the courts to bribe him to get before the judge. That's the opening act. Yeah. So this is going to be... Uh, place that needs careful handling and i've got drooling cross-eyed billy green saying well it's just you and me now dave yeah bill <laughs> yeah just is but then of course fear started to creep in when i paid out ridiculously another uh, two thousand pounds and for your friend yeah i guess so to go over to B-class accommodation, which meant instead of being on the floor, you had beds and, and servants. Uh, and the servants I'll describe in a minute. But um, I had to take this idiot with me. I mean, he'd already, when, when Jeremy from the embassy came in, David, this guy's ratted you out to the max. And he's been asking me, I mean, this is supposed to be a guy from the, the consulate. I mean, he's supposed to be a bit, you know, uh, he's meant to be uh, discreet, isn't he, with other people's information? <laughs> Dave, watch him every minute. He's been saying, can I do a deal with the English police? I know so much. Why did, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you, Sean. Oh, yes. You might have recalled from an earlier interview that when I was talking to Billy, I said, all right, Billy, Oh, he changed his name, by the way, to William Power. Will Power, something <laughs> of which he had none. Reminds me of another ex-courier who changed his name to Roland Wynn, with two ends. Gambler, of course. Anyway, um, so I had to drag this idiot around with me uh, to keep an eye on him. But... Um, uh, also for me, um, when I went over to the very top accommodation, it was a kind of, I wouldn't say it was luxury, it was still cells, but they were never locked. There was a chairman of Pakistan Steel there. There was a couple of uh, spies from various government agencies. Uh, Benazir Bhutto's husband had his own house in the place. So explain who Benazir Bhutto is, was. Um, Asif Zadari is his name. He since became uh, president of Pakistan. This was one of your former neighbors in the prison. Yes. Um, now, in the... Uh, I'm just stealing a, a glance at my watch here. To, We've been uh, going for an hour and right. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Because this is uh, <clears throat> really in describing uh, Karachi Central Jail, uh, which is notorious, which has had celebrities in there, in, in their own terms. Um, and it is, is kind of everything 
about the country that you'd care to know. They often say that Pakistan is owned by 22 families, meaning the old clans. And, and, and Benazir was from one of the, the Bhutos, uh, the Bhutto clan, you could say. I mean, they retain, even though they're you know, many generations wealthy, um, the clan name. And I've said before here, when we were talking about Afghanistan, you know, people assign things to uh, Mujahideen, Taliban, whatever the hell. I've said before that none of that, it, this is just our Western shorthand for imposing our idea of organization on places we don't know. This tribal clan thing is, is what holds in that part of the world. And uh, <clears throat> it's very much so. And, and of course, it extends down to um, the prison. There, the, I think I, I spoke before when I was in Peshawar on the Afghani border getting help from one of the Afridis, the so-called uh, Jews of Pakistan. They um, they had their own kind of section there. And we must remember, too, that Pakistan, in a sense, doesn't exist. After all, it was drawn up uh, or signed to by a guy that was a lawyer, not even a surveyor, just before Indian independence, with Churchill's explicit plan of thinking to himself, well... <laughs> I'm not going to leave that country to become uh, a serious rival, a world power. I'm going to do what the British always do when leaving something they formerly owned, wreck it. And they divided up sections, made a mess with Kashmir, split Pakistan into East and West. You remember Bangladesh? It was once East Pakistan. <laughs> but what... You know, somebody making a joke couldn't have thought that out. <laughs> yeah, you can have your own country. Guess what? We're going to put part of it in Hawaii. <laughs> I like that. The beaches are nice. Um, it it was it, so <clears throat> that was imposed, and it doesn't doesn't mean anything to the people there. They are uh, in Karachi as part of Sindh province, and they're Sindhi nationalists who want their own country for that part of the world. Um, uh, Sindh was actually stolen, uh, well, I say stolen, finessed, yeah, organized by the British. Well done. Um, by um, one of our, our famous uh, uh, generals who um, wrote back to the king saying just one word, Pakavi, which for a Latin schoolboy translates as Pakavi means in Latin, I have sinned as in made a bad deal, but I have sinned province. I have mm. taken it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the, the elite like to use Latinisms in their little jokes. You know? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> um, so I had to kind of come to understand the jail, who was in it, uh, how it worked. Um, there's distractions there. People are being dragged away and beaten with a titter, which is a, a large um, leather um, strap, um, which has lots of things engraved on it. Somebody's lovingly made this thing for the beatings. 
um, it looks like a kind of barber's belt. And it says in various languages and scripts, uh, Pashtu and some other ones, I love you very much. We will be friends forever, all that sort of thing. So they're being dragged away and beaten. So, oh, Will Power next to me, <laughs> Cacaria la Pantalone, he's shitting himself. Um, and I'm staying with you, Dave. You know, I don't like it around here. Uh, which is is not uncommon for um, people who are, consider themselves, not that he was ever one, but like to think of themselves as villains in, the, in, in their own neck of the woods, seem to fall utterly to pieces when they, they had to absorb some new uh, culture. But I was aided in, in all of that, um, or hindered, I'm not sure which, as when I arrived in this new section which I'd paid a lot for. How are you accessing money at this point? Mm, with great difficulty. Um, firstly, to be robbed by the lawyer, I had to send out, uh, I had to give a message to this crook. Um, you know, I, I thought I still was kind of glowing from uh, the attendances of uh, the electricity, so I, I wasn't being entirely rational. But I gave the code word to the lawyer which meant this is genuine, uh, which I gave to my uh, long-standing friend and accountant, Max. Hi, Max. I know you sent the money, and I know you were thinking, what's this idiot done now? But it was bang there within a while. I mean, who would you call for a quick 10 grand? Well, the police arrested all of my co-defendants with me, so I had to They do make family. it difficult, don't they? Yeah, yeah. so you end up, you end up with family. Yeah. But I've kind of rung them out. So, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, my brother was good for a while, but you know, he just wasn't quick enough. You've got to be Johnny on the spot with these things. Though that's true. I did end up in a, a hotel in Paris with uh, no ID and no um, credit cards that worked and under a cloud and... Um, he did manage to get me a room and cap launch there once. Um, within seconds, I mean. Mm -hmm. So, Simon, thanks for that. Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, uh, then later on I organized a system for money because I wanted cash. And uh, it's good that they, oh, Jeremy from the embassy, who was uh, on the consular staff in the British embassy, um, he... Uh, he came in, he said, well, who are you going to be? Um, I think you were Australian in Thailand, weren't you, officially? Do you want to be British or what? I said, let's go by the numbers. I had two British passports here. I'll, uh, I'll stay with you guys. You've got a, I hear you've got a better commissary. <laughs> <laughs> he said, good. Anyway, um, so he used to uh, see us in court and you could send money there and he'd, and pass the envelope right, okay. and uh, re-trouser that mm -hmm. and go back with it. But there's a bit of a thing. You've got to slip them 500 rupees, about five pounds, uh, when you return to the jail. You know, the the, the pat-down guard coming back to the jail. Uh, mm, well, you don't want to have any chit-chat. Just give me the damn money. <laughs> um, I didn't once, and he got all offended. And it cost me like three times as much to get it back after that. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you need cash to um, 
organized the grocery shopping. Um, the, the section that I was in, this B-class section, had um, the funny thing about the prisons. In places that are their own city-state prisons, the guy who does various jobs has got a name, and he usually has the name uh, like uh, Smithy would be the ironmonger, wouldn't he? Because he's a... a but um, Chandio is a guy, a, a name of somebody that uh, does shopping and, and the people who call around Chandio. So we'd give him a list, give him some uh, pocket money. And uh, Pakistan still, uh, uh, though otherwise a miser, did like his food. So he would send him to the Marriott Hotel. And, but he made his uh, uh, manservant sleep at the foot of his bed on a mat. Um, who was a little guy from up north, a Khan of some kind. Um, the Khans are all kind of a tribe of their own, uh, that lot. What was the actual prison food like? Did they provide anything? I'd rather say I have no idea, my dear. <laughs> um, no, and it was um, uh, very watery lentils. Uh See, I asked myself once, Sean, having not learnt from my experience in the dungeon with the electricity, I said, what would it be like if you actually had to live on this shit? It, no. Anyway, um, it's a watery dough and very gritty uh, naan bread. Oh, okay. Very thin, chapati. Yeah, right. that's it. Okay. Yeah, don't even think about meat. I forget that. No, I'm um, but Chandio did his shopping, and uh, so he would, uh, and I would need servants, of course. Really? Yes, uh, Mr. David, you're, um, you get, you have two servants. You have a Badashi and a Dobbywala, who does your laundry. And uh, Badashi kind of did everything, um, ruined your food, uh, bought the wrong things, got himself into trouble that would you know, be expensive to get him out of. Mine had been in there five years and had one eye missing from a uh, conversation with the police that didn't turn out to be... Uh, what is the procedure for them to be allocated to a person, a servant? And Well, it's a good question because I would have thought there was something even... This is how distant this place was from anything I, I'd normally understand. I found out from them, the two guys, that they had had to bribe the guard to get the job working for me. Now, why is that? Because they came from the C-class pit, from Cheka, which is a five-sided pit. And um, to have a job working for uh, a person of allocated and official class would be good. They could fit, eat well. They'd, maybe get a little bit of extra money. Um, they could move around the prison and you know, move things around, do things on the side. All that good stuff for them. But that uh, this fat pig that uh, was in charge of giving out those sort of jobs, uh, he did well. He drove a proper car, I saw from the car park. Um, he, uh, he would charge them about 10 pounds or something like that for the for the job 
and it had nothing, we won't even start to talk about merit or, or deserving cases or anything, but it was, it was solely on a kind of waiting list and, and, and the money. Um, and that is, as I said, with the going to court procedure where you have to, to pay for everything in stages, in pieces. Now, you can imagine here too that um, uh, even though some people would be B-class officially or non-officially, like I was, um, that didn't get you off the hook. You don't just pay once. It, it, it goes on. Some people paid uh, a lot, some a little. The political groups tended uh, not to pay anything very much. Uh, they did, but I, I did a kind of a survey of the place. Um, and I was aided by uh, the next morning when a cloud of um, white tribal dress poured out, covered in gold chains and Rolexes. And it was none other than my friend, Nor John Magsy, who was just passing through between bail applications. Ah, oh, David, <laughs> what would you do? I did nothing. Oh. All right. Yeah, I did everything. Yeah, badly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I thought, well, this is not necessarily good. I kind of like to, to make my own judgments on the, these things. But I, I realized he would, any of Nor John's ideas would be you know, part of one of his schemes and, and, and all of that. Um, and even that level is kind of upper level leeches. But in the, the, the group next door was, if I just outline that, uh, I, I mentioned that Asif Zadari, uh, Benazir Bhutto's uh, husband, was uh, inside the jail on remand for charges which included attempts to kill her. Um, and various other people. Um, how true they were, who knows? Um, but in that kind of that family, they're a bit like the Kennedys in their own way. <laughs> they're always killing each other off when it suits their political purposes. Like Cleopatra, it's her old Ted. He's still alive, isn't he? Mm. You know, they used to, there was a there was a he's well, Ted Kennedy's political chances were ruined, weren't they? When he was uh, had to dig himself out of a creek once. Um, with the, the secretary, uh, Mary something, Kopechny, that was her name. And the wedding ring was in a matchbox, in the glove box. They were in Epstein's black book as well, most of the Kennedys. Mm, that's not a surprise. Do, do you think uh, Epstein was a, um, a collector of useful names and contacts? I suppose he would have been, wouldn't it? Good grief, looking at the black book, it was just a who's who of billionaires... Mm. royalty, um, TV uh, celebs, actresses, models, Naomi, Camby, Naomi Campbell, Tony Blair, um, Trump was in there. Um, you know the names that would be interesting too, uh, the names that didn't seem connected with anything. Like, he wouldn't write his gardener's number in there perhaps, but his fixes are probably in there. And you know, if... If uh, the number might not mean much, but if if the name seems either coded, you know, <laughs> mind you, I suppose a lot of uh, a lot of telephones were thrown in the river uh, when he looked like he was facing the end. I'll, I'll uh, send you a copy of the unredacted black book if you want to have a perusal. Yeah, a couple of names might ring about. Never know. <laughs> um, 
I've always, I've got a big bag in my loft of uh, old address books uh, from people. The Rothschilds were in there. There's George Soros, his nephew was in there. Some big family names. Mm. Yeah. What do you think of George? George. Well, when I was a kid and I was getting into the stock market, I started following his career back then, and I've read his books as well over the years. Okay. So. Uh, what do you think he's is more intuitive than what's that? Um, Warren Buffett. Uh, he's not a, a kind of independent player like that. When he sold short the British pound, do you remember that? And he made he filed one of the highest incomes ever filed in the history of the world. Mm. I don't know if he made a billion off it or hundreds of millions or whatever. But back then, when I you know greed was is good was my motto. I admired him, but now I see the dark side of it all because I was only a kid then when I first found out about him. But now I see the dark side of it all. It's um... well, I mean, this this this. Hedge fund trading is not inherently bad. After all, uh, it is a form of protection, uh, and a, and a, uh, it's not as destabilizing a, an effect on the markets as some people fear. I, I think it uh, there's bound to be some good things you could say about. That. Oh yeah, I'm a short seller as well, which they've often mm. been described as evil, um, but. I don't know. I, they, <laughs> people, you know what people will think. Um, anything that works is probably voodoo magic, anyway. Yeah. And secondly, something that seems uh, counterintuitive or, or works in reverse. If you're uh, short seller, they say you're rooting for disaster. <laughs> um, or protecting those who uh, uh, might find themselves subject to it. You know, Adding you liquidity know. to the market is the way. Yeah. Um, but we won't win any friends on a <laughs> yeah I, I used to see it once worth uh, last time I was stuck there um, a whole lot of the um, bankers um, in those years that I was there the, there was kind of wave of traders um, the inside trading never stuck money laundering they usually did a deal on uh, they were mostly in fear of um their, their assets being taken away. And you look at the Hatton Garden guys. Okay, what was it really? A, a fancy sort of burglary in a sense, crime-wise. But the 10 million plus uh, confiscation orders uh, were the things that really worried them. And that these bankers were certainly um, more terrified by 10 and 15 year uh, penalties. I won't even call them sentences because you can't say, <clears throat> I won't pay you the 10 million, I'll do the 10 years. You still owe the 10 million at the end of the 10 years. Mm. That's just to slap you in the face for not paying on time. Mm. You, you never can own a thing ever again in your life. Um, and I, I noticed too that uh, we had a little school down there for uh, playing card scrabble and the ones worth where. Um, or the bankers would discuss their cases. And uh, like Uncle Festus, I'd sit back on my pork barrel <laughs> and give him my opinions on juries and, and uh, what you should look for. Um, and uh, I had to say, though, honestly, guys, I think none of you should say a damn word. You'll hang yourselves in there. Firstly, you're getting up and people are thinking, yeah, this is the one who's been profiting off my misfortune. 
There's no connection, not a truth to it, but that's the way they feel. So very hard to get a sympathetic uh, jury. Imagine yourself as a lawyer and you've got somebody who walks in there with uh, having earned eight million a year in bonuses. You'd be thinking, how can I defend this idiot? You've got Dick Cheney and he's just handed himself hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayers' money for, through Halliburton, was it? Like, yes, it was. Like that. Oh, did you see Vice? On? The, Vice, the um, movie with Christian Bale playing Dick Cheney. Oh, I'll have to watch that. Oh, it's terrific. I mean, you wouldn't recognize Christian Bale in this thing. It looks very much like my brother for some reason. Um, but uh, it, it's quite a good character study. And, right, uh, about it. No, it's a, uh, I don't know, one of these days we should do a little um, <clears throat> or a roundup of uh, what's good out there in uh, TV land and movies. Yeah, we can always and, discuss that. Uh, and, and books because uh, that's one of those things that, I mean, I had, you know, it was, I was hard pressed to uh, convince uh, uh, my other half, uh, to uh, watch it, she said, "What a vice president of the U.S.? No, it's good, it's good." And uh, it, it was. Oh, did you see um, Sasha Baron Cohen in um, uh, The Spy? No. Ah, yeah. I've always thought, you know, that comedians, when they stop being funny, end up as terrific actors. Uh, there's something about their timing. Their control of uh, face. Eric Banner, who played uh, Chopper in uh, the early movies and has since become a, a very good actor um, for lots of things. You get, not always gets good roles, but he is a, a good actor. He was a comedian. I did, I, I gravitate towards darker things to watch, such as the most recent is Untouchable about Harvey Weinstein. Oh, yes, yes. Is it, is it worth I thought it would be, I think I read a review or something where it just sort of paints him as a obvious lecture. Yeah, it's harrowing because they're speaking to the victims and it's really sad. Oh, it's a doc. Hearing the stories. Documentary. Yeah. And people will ask now about the stock market as we've mentioned it. So I do have a stock market playlist on the YouTube channel. I will now add that to the links in the description box below this video. And one of my most recent, well, I don't know how it's been. It's been months and months since I posted it, but I was recommending selling short Tesla Motors at 340. And it did crash to below 200, but now I think it's back up about 240, 250. So it could be getting ripe to reshort there. Cannabis shop um, shares are presently down considerably, so they're getting cheap again. And Bitcoin, I think over 10,000 possible reshort on bitcoin there as well really you know there's uh, a friend of mine called me a few months ago uh talking about um yeah, yeah. it sounds like eurythmia or, or it's, it's one of the uh, cryptocurrencies yeah um and <clears throat> oh it can only go up it's uh it's worth naffle at the moment but that's the point it's going to go up and all of that it's a bit yeah, uh, pyramidal in effect. Um, he wouldn't be the only one uh, on the phone to his friends saying, and, and the more of us that fall for it, then yeah. But it, really, cryptocurrencies um, 
I think they've got a past to live down. They don't integrate uh, very seamlessly into the regular banking world. And then that link has always been the difficult area, hasn't it? It was a millennial bubble. It's computer code that's gone more valuable than Blockchain. gold. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, anyone can create computer code. The supply is potentially unlimited. Not the supply of the main ones, but the competition can just increase the supply and bam. You know that over 1% of the world's energy generation is used on um, mining for mm. cryptocurrencies. Mm. Something like a third of the power generation of, in Norway is dedicated to machines grinding away that, using the cold climate for uh, keeping them cool. Wow. Well, on your point about your fr you know people when they suddenly start getting excited about investments, there's a saying in the stock market, when your barber gets excited about an investment, it's all going to crash. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Yes, because by the time he's heard about it, the smart money's left. That's not when he's selling it to you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a long time ago. Um, you, know, you ever get um, tempted to go back into that? And not that you'd have time. Do, but... do a little dabble every now and then, but I'm not, I haven't got nowhere near the money that I used to have. So I, I think eventually in, down the road, I'll get back into it more more solidly. Mm. Yeah. No, but you, the idea is to use other people's money. <laughs> <laughs> Did you Have you watched Billions? Billions? Yeah. No. That's a... Um, uh, a season series on with uh, Damien Lewis, isn't he? He's an English actor, but he plays an American uh, kind of, uh, hedge fund trader. And his nemesis is a New York state prosecutor, uh, or federal prosecutor, perhaps, in that district, uh, <clears throat> who um, uh, is always trying to get him. It, it, it's it's worth the first couple of seasons. Have you watched Ozark? Oh yeah, I love that. Season two of that I thought was as good as Breaking Bad. Yes, I think so. Is season three out yet? Uh, it's being made. It's being made. I okay. don't think it's uh, Can't wait for that. been released. Yeah. Uh, it has been. Um, yeah, so I, I should uh, flag that up to everybody when it starts coming out. But it'll be on, on Netflix anyway. Anyway, uh, having taken that little um, uh, aside for there, we have... Uh, do you want to keep going or do you want to move on to the questions? Um, I'll just uh, spend a few minutes before that on outlining um, where this is going. As I mentioned, um, this is kind of draining me. I'm my early 40s. Uh, <clears throat> Um, up, down, ruined, back again, uh, then having that experience in, um, uh, when I was, uh, when I thought I was going back to be uh, uh, tortured again, I was even unscrewing the, I had a pencil sharpener in my bag and I was looking at the blade in that. I, I was particularly depressed. <laughs> the torture was one thing and, horrible in its own way but <clears throat> I'd also taken into account that here I was again facing uh, <clears throat> not only being linked up with this guy's ridiculous uh, smuggling attempt and it wouldn't have mattered 
if it were, <clears throat> excuse me, if it was my own. But uh, a thing was again, I was in some strange place, well, unfamiliar to me anyway, where I would have to fight a battle that turned out to be a lot worse than Thailand, more frustrating. Um, I was expensively a B class, and, and I'd, I'd go to court, and I wouldn't wear handcuffs. I could run down the street. This this was not a battle of um, uh, getting over the wall. Besides which, the wall was full of uh, rangers with rifles from the army, and they were there because the guards couldn't be trusted not to do their own deals to let people in and out. And you know what the deal was that they were most afraid of? Not people leaving there. Uh, they were most afraid of the enemies of the people who were in there getting in there to kill them. That's what those their guns were trained on the outside of the prison wall, not the inside. <laughs> there were people in there living high on the hog. Mehran Bank sprang up, speaking of uh, stock markets and trade. Uh, 250 million US dollars went missing from it. And the guy who ran that built his own house in that jail, had air conditioning, had satellite. His servants, I mean, really top, he did a manicured lawn. I'd go around there Sundays for lunch with all these spooks <laughs> from the Pakistani, uh, sort of, what they call it, ISI. Uh, <clears throat> and they'd be speaking perfect English. And um, uh, so the servants, did, we, we spoke that, so the servants didn't hear. They was picking up some Urdu by then. Um, <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, oh, the, the guy from the bank, he didn't want to get out because he knew he'd be kidnapped. He used to go to court every day on some fictional kind of appearance paper because he had a little office that he rented in the court and was the only safe place he could see his family without having the risk of them kidnapping him, his own family. <laughs> this was an upside-down world. Uh, all the servants used to gossip. That's why I, I, I got uh, uh, the ones I did. Um, so this was not a place that I physically couldn't get away with, but there was nothing to it, and I had this quivering informer on, on my hands. Willpower. Uh, oh, willpower, yeah. <laughs> and um, on top of that, oh, you ask, though you haven't, uh, what happened to um, Eloise in London? I was about to ask that. Yeah, were you? Um, she didn't hear from me disappeared off the face of the earth. Uh, through things I said, managed to work out who my brother was and went to his uh, film company in Soho. Uh, he was civil about it, invited her in to take a seat, got her a coffee. Uh, Eloise, is it? Yes. Look, David is, um, I, I spoke to his uh, landlord from the place in Chelsea he was caught with two tons of cocaine in India. Oh! Uh, Simon shook his head. No, I think that story is a bit upside down, but <laughs> it's not like he wouldn't have done it. Um, <laughs> what did he say that you were, that he was? Oh, he said he was a, I can't remember whether he said he was a, a troubleshooter or troublemaker. One of those two things. <laughs> Well, a bit of both, a bit of all. Um, you'd be better off, you know, without him. And then when she found out more, she went up, went back home and tore up all the soft toys that she insisted I buy her. 
and some other things I've given her. Not the jewelry, though. They never throw away the jewelry. <laughs> anyway, um, there was a, so was that uh, the end of that? Or was the more to come? Of which Halloween's. Oh no, there's always more to come. Okay, <laughs> the love story is not over. Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, ah, yes, you know when, when I was um, putting together uh, Unforgiving Destiny, the book, uh, signed copies of which I'll. Uh, uh, I'm sending out quite a few, and bear in mind I personalise them. You can get in touch with me. Well, one of the questions uh, my, here is how do website. we get signed copies and how do we get your audio book? Uh, so DavidMcMillan.net uh, has a contact page, and people, and I like to know a bit about the people, even if it's fake, so that I can personalise what I write in the books to them. That's a nice so, touch. Yeah, um, uh, I can do that. Um, An audio book update. Uh, I've recorded quite a bit of it, but um, some doctors want to cut me open next week. So recovering from that will give me a chance to uh, wince my way through the completion of it. Will your voice be different after this? <laughs> <laughs> no, they want a little sack with, like with uh, balls in it, but not that particular one. It's gallstones from my gallbladder that uh, they'll be taking out. I'd like to be awake for it just to have a look, but I think I'll pass on that one. Gallstones uh, and mm, your gallbladder. Yeah. And they're removing the gallbladder. Oh, they take the whole thing. I've got no use for it. Well, you I, get to keep it at the end. I used to keep those mementos. When I had my tonsils out, they let me take them <laughs> home in a jar. Um, but uh, the, and I, I don't think so. Anyway, you I should put your gallbladder on eBay as a uh, giveaway. Let's see. Uh... You know what I'm thinking of? A, a T-shirt uh, with, I found all these old travel clothes and it's got sand from various countries. I've been pulling that together. I was thinking of a little sealed capsule at the back. And the reason for that is it, it's, it would be pressing against the back of the neck in its tiny way, reminding people uh, of those places and those things because the T-shirt says, well, I've always said almost everything is not worth saying to anyone. <laughs> and uh, they you bear that in mind next time you go to open your big yap, you will realize it's very much true. Why tell somebody something they don't need to know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, yes, I'll have time for that. But the, the, the Pakistan saga, as we'll go on at some point, took a lot of very tough resolving. So, Dwayne Dibley, mm. hello, David. I think your story is one of the most interesting on this channel. I've got a question for you. I am reading Hotel K at the moment. I was wondering if you knew of Chapelle Corby or had any stories about Bali. Yeah, Chapelle Corby was an uh, Australian girl. She was arrested. Um, I can't remember whether she was in a group or by herself. I've got a feeling there were others involved. But she was a good self-promoter, and she managed to um, take that sort of I'm pathetic, I was in above my head approach. Is this Indonesia where it's the death penalty? Uh, Bali. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, being Australian, uh, it, what goes on there is well known to Australians because they had the Bali Nine, some of whom were actually executed. They have a special execution island they take them to for that purpose. Is that the recent one? 
No, it was only a few years ago. And that, that came about because the son of one of the co-conspirators contacted the Australian police because he wanted to get his son out of the conspiracy. And then the Australian police contacted the Indonesian police and they all got the death penalty. Yeah, that was a phone call that shouldn't have been made. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I don't know, I sometimes, but I do know with Australian police, they, and this might apply everywhere, if they really don't like the people, um, they'll get the locals involved with this, a death penalty case. and they, Like they did with you. Nature take its course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Robertus mm -hmm. Janusowskas. Janusowskas, yes. Do you I believe remember. that we are probably being lied to about the place we are in? Since um, I've been posting about Epstein and, and I had David Icon and stuff, a lot of questions coming in now that are not related to prison, more in the conspiracy research world. You might notice this. Yes, I, I remember him asking, and um, he referred to a book um, which was um, um, something about... Here it is. I'll, 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 read you, I'll, read, I'll read you the rest of it. Do you think there's a way to escape the world and go beyond? Have you read any interesting books or heard stories about that? I'm talking about Worlds Beyond the Poles by Amadeo F. Gianna, Gian, Giannini. 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 Um, yes, it, it's a kind of one-off uh, idea about, um, um, you, you could kind of say alternate universes, that sort of thing. Um, uh, and, but the thing is, um, people also bring into this, are there people who know a lot more than they're saying and cover everything up? But really, um, you can't cover up aliens. Um, because the aliens wouldn't come all this way to conveniently drop dead because they never realized that to breathe earth air or something, uh, despite having the technology to get here. Do you think something could be out there that doesn't have the technology to get here? Oh, almost certainly. There's a water world being discovered uh, about twice the mass of Earth, 110 uh, light years away, and uh, which is too far for a probe, of course. People often think of sending things out that way. But do you think what it's going to take to slow yourself down slow enough to take a picture? That means half the way there you accelerate, the other half the way you're slowing down. No, they're, they're probably, I think um, the, the universe is teeming with life. The DNA that we have is almost certainly not uh, originally from Earth. Um, and I say that because it, the first living things seem to appear about 350 million years after the uh, earth cooled down enough to have uh, the water sloshing about. Um, and that's a, rather, a bit too quick for that evolutionary leap. Um, but um, they were eukaryotes, which is kind of the, the simple cell. Uh, we have the unique thing of mitochondria in our cell. It's a bit like... There's one kind of bacteria and another one somehow got into it and, and they work together. The mitochondria make a, a sort of power pack battery out of it. Point is, the odds of that happening are hugely remote. And for two billion years of life on Earth, that never happened. So that probably happens throughout most of the habitable uh, planets in the universe. But um, it, it, well, if you do the maths, then... Um, if there was an intelligent 
uh, off-planet civilization in our galaxy, we'd probably know about that already. They would have had time to send the messages. What about the theory then that we can't comprehend infinity, but over infinity, everything that has happened to create us has happened previously, so we have existed within infinity, and this very conversation has happened before? Um, yeah, of course, if you take an infinite number of things, even there's no reason to suppose that... Um, the observable universe is all there is. Uh, there's probably lots more beyond that. And the fact that um, it seems to be expanding uh, more quickly than it should, you know, if it was heavy enough, it should be slowing down and then compressed back from the Big Bang to a big crunch. That's not happening. It's actually going out further. So for all we know, there's a lot more that's been going on for a lot longer than the 13 and a half billion years that we aged. And besides which, there could be other universes around that didn't quite work out. There are seven key formula uh, that matter and nature have that if these measurements weren't exactly right, nothing would have come into existence for more than a brief nanosecond. So, sure, there could be, if you say there's an infinite number of possible worlds, there could be a Sean and David having this conversation we're having now and then slightly varying it. But that's not really helpful. The maths is worse. If you mathematically uh, calculate the uh, probabilities of existence, uh, then it's, which one day we might have time for, it's almost certain that uh, I, Sean, am part of one of your simulated worlds simulated lives and why don't you why aren't you admitting that you're living a simulation because you've become so bored with these endless simulations as roman soldier and sort of queen of the nile or whatever you might have been that when you do a life simulation now you don't let yourself know until it's over don't you find it makes it more exciting? <laughs> and the fact that I'm telling you this now, Sean, is because more things are being revealed to you about your own simulation that's programmed into it, including me saying this to you now. <laughs> that is what mathematics tells us. See, we not only bring you blood, guts, horror, prison gang rapes, beheadings, international drug distribution, we bring you metaphysics, philosophy... Emmanuel Kant, eat your heart out. Next question. He should have had a channel. <laughs> Three subs. <laughs> Frosty1002. The thing I am wondering is, do you think this man knew the authorities were onto him and tried to get out, or do you think he shat his pants at the last minute? Um, so I'm that's... a bit lost. Uh, who, who tried to get out? Who's he talking about? I think he's on about willpower. Oh. Um, do you think the man knew the first one to him and tried to get out? Or do you think he shat his pants at the last minute? I Yes, I could never quite... Uh, Frosty, you have to be a bit clear about uh, who the many uh, miserable failed characters that I describe. He has uh, added that... some description here. Mm. After watching your videos, I can straight away see a few mistakes and errors that may have raised risk on him. 
Body language is not relaxed and natural. Oh, yes, yes. When yes. the bag was coming round, he didn't ignore it. He showed interest but let it go while still staring eagerly at the belt. Mm. Attempting to do this at one of the hardest border control airports. Flying in from a drug hotspot, which is known to authorities. Another thing that crossed my mind was what do you think he was burned out to allow others to pass through? And that was all part of the Oh, plan. yes. I wish I, I had a little... One is of it, my is own. it willpower? No, no. It was one of my own videos about body language. Oh, okay. People show. Okay. And um, I, 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 it's hard to say, but um, I think uh, crapped his dax is... Uh, Pooed his pants is probably the answer to that one, Frosty. That's usually what it is. Yeah. Okay, next question is from PG1 Driver 3. When did you realize you were smart enough to act on your thoughts? Mm. Huh. Well, you, you never realize you're smart or dumb in this world. Yeah, uh, you try things and they work or they fail. Um, it's not like this uh, a sudden moment when you decide. Oh, I, I, I think what the guy's really doing, the, the person asking that question, you're asking, am I smart enough to uh, get away with things? Well, you'd be doing it by now, so you're probably not. <laughs> Samir Al-Havzi Saeed Mohammed Abu. He's from Australia. Has <laughs> asked, David, are you on the Methadone program? What channel is that on? Mm. Uh, no, uh, methadone is um, a, a trap for people who uh, it's almost impossible to get off. It's easier to get away from heroin than methadone. Uh, yeah, and people have told me that uh, if they uh, to withdraw from methadone, it's uh, like uh, torture, sleep deprivation, and really they drive them insane. Russell Brand's not fond about it. It's um, is it another industry than the methadone industry? Is that just another shakedown on the tax? Um, it's cheap to make. Going back to the more conspiratorial now, and I do appreciate all of the new subscribers who've come in off Epstein and Ike, and appreciate all of the donations as well that have come into the donation links to help the channel and the True Crime Podcast keep going. And those links are all in the description box below the video. So the Grime Rap Critic. Does David know about the secret bunker at Westminster? Oh, uh, no, I tipped you all to this uh, somewhere. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> you do know about it? Uh, no, I was the one who told everybody oh. about it. Mm. Okay, uh, we've already covered this. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it was in the last one. Um, he might be asking, have I been in there? No, but I'd appreciate <laughs> anybody who has the time to uh, take a little look around and see if they can see where it opens. Papa Lima Charlie has asked, what happened to the guy in the hospital who got shot in the eye in David's movie? Mm. He died. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the link to David's movie will be in the description box below this video. It's actually Australian television. What's film. it called again? Uh, the Man Who Got Away? The, uh, the, or The One Who Got the Away? One who got away the One Who Got Away. Yes. You want to Google it. Um, it's, it's not bad. It, you know, pretty cheaply made. I enjoyed it. Mm. So he's dead? Yes. Craig58352. Cool, Dave. Some more content would be appreciated. Even reading aloud your supermarket receipts will do, mate. Have you ever met or do you know Freddie Foreman? I just love hearing him and what he has done over his career. Staunch 
C word, and that's worth everything in the rat bags world. So Freddie Foreman, James, he's, he's the one who's still alive that we want to get on the podcast. That I'm reading mm. his book, Underworld, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, yes, I, well, I start, his book's good. Yeah, start, I'm only at the beginning. Mm. Yeah, if anyone's out there connected with Freddie Foreman and you can arrange that for us, we would appreciate you getting in touch. Mm. Do you have any That'd thoughts on Freddie? Well, you could ask him how he survived with such good fortune. Okay. <clears throat> if we, I, listen, sure, I'm, I must away soon. Uh, right, we've got so, one more page. you want me to get over, do it, or do you want to just get going? Uh, I think we might save that one for later. Okay, though. no problem uh, at all. Um, we're going to have a traffic dilemma. We appreciate dilemma, you coming on, man. Give no, us, no, it's good. Yeah, all yeah. right. Yes, yeah. always good to see you. Thank you, man. Ah, looking forward to part the next one. Mm. So in the next one, um, oh, sorry, put your questions for David in the comments below this video. If you've not read David's two books yet, Escape, Unforgiven Destiny, they're in the description box below this video. Please also, David does put content on his own channel. The link is down there. And I'll be doing more of it soon. So uh, um, in October, there'll be some good stuff there. After his operation, there'll be more content coming up. So please subscribe over to David's channel and support him wherever you can. We appreciate all of your love. Cheers. Okay. Take care. Bye. <laughs>